Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Making Waves with Wet podcast. In every episode, you'll get a glimpse into the latest news, insights, and the real people who are making waves in the wastewater industry. Plus, you'll hear the stories and some of the behind-the-scenes secrets about how wet comes together. So thanks for listening and enjoy this episode. Hi, everyone. This is Liz Bothwell from Waste360 and Wet, and I'm with Donnie Charles, co-founder of Veriflux. Welcome, and thanks for being on the show today, Donnie. Thanks, Liz, for having me. Excited to be here. Well, I'm fascinated by your company and your product, I think, because you you can really cross over what we do on the Waste360 side and then on the wet side um, with the liquid solution that you have. So can you just tell me more about Veriflux and, and the origin story of how you founded it? Sure. So. Um... Veriflux is uh, an end-to-end traceability solution that's geared primarily for uh, recycled waste that's going into renewable energy. And I, I can go into how I ended up in the industry a bit later, but but to give you a sense of, of why Veriflux is important and, and why my co-founder and I came up with it, it really goes back to the requirements that are on the books for documenting renewable energy that comes from uh, waste sources. So the EPA has the renewable fuel standard that has record keeping requirements. There's a lot of low carbon fuel standards, the most notable being out of California, that has documents as well as other requirements around being able to track GHG and, and other types of emissions. And so in order to be able to do that, you really have to be able to trace feedstocks that go into renewable fuels back to their point of origin. And when you're talking about recycled waste, that can be really difficult to do. We're talking about fats and oils that start at restaurants. If you're talking about used cooking oil as as one example, the type of waste that comes from French fries that's fried at your your local drive-thru, and then they have to dispose of it behind the restaurant. And then that ultimately ends up in biofuels. But those requirements that I just mentioned are such that you have to be able to trace that it came not just from use cooking oil, but that the actual material came from a certain restaurant. So it actually came from McDonald's on Main Street, uh, how much came from there, when it was picked up. I mean, that's the extent to which there's traceability requirements. And the reason why those traceability requirements exist is because the government at the federal and at the state level provides greater incentives for recycled waste. And so you have to be able to prove that fuel is actually coming from that recycled waste. All that's a long way of saying that but that's the context for why my co-founder Scott and I ultimately decided to found Veriflux because we were in the waste to energy space. We were working with used cooking oil and helping to refine it to provide it to as a feedstock for biofuels. And we realized that there wasn't a good mechanism to be able to trace that type of material from its point of origin. I have a, a tech background and I said, you know, there's got to be some software solution out there that can help us do that. We looked extensively. There wasn't really one, and that's when we decided to, to found Veriflux, and it's been a great ride ever since. Oh, that's great. Good story and good reason to to build it out. Now, your entire model is really based on collaboration, and I know that's not always easy. Can you talk about the stakeholders you you had to bring into this and bring to the table to talk about this in order to make it happen and sort of your philosophy on approaching partnerships? Sure, yeah. It, um, the, the point of, about collaboration is, is a great one because when you talk about 
waste to energy. Ultimately, you're talking about a supply chain. And that supply chain, in some rare instances, is fully integrated. In most cases, it's not. It's a lot of different stakeholders across that supply chain. And so when you have to trace materials from origin all the way to destination, you really have to have different stakeholders collaborating across that supply chain. You need to have the company that picks up the waste material collaborating with the company that processes it, collaborating with the company that further refines it, and then ultimately the company that produces it into fuel, and, and then even further, the, the company that ultimately consumes that fuel, right? That's, that's the extent of the supply chain. And the challenge is, historically, no one along that supply chain wanted to share that information because that information around where they're sourcing materials is sensitive, competitive information. If I'm a collector of a raw material, of a waste material, and I share that downstream with other folks in the supply chain, there's a decent chance that those folks in my supply chain on any given day, they might be my collaborator, but the next day they might be my competitor. And what I'm sharing with them is effectively my customer list. It's some of the most sensitive, competitive data that I have. And so part of what we did in building Veriflux was to build a mechanism where everyone across that supply chain would feel comfortable sharing the data because what we do is we actually anonymize the data when it's shared. So if someone, if a, if a collector of a raw material shares data into the system, they can view that raw data, but everyone downstream that needs to then subsequently see that data, they see an obfuscated or an anonymized version of what was shared and, and specifically what we're, what we're hiding or anonymizing is that competitive information and so that way, everyone feels comfortable sharing the data. Ultimately, when it gets to a regulator, when it gets to the EPA or CARB, which is California's um, body that's responsible for LCFS, when it gets to one of those regulators, they can see the raw data uh, comprehensively. But every stakeholder along the chain shares it in its raw form, but then subsequently it's seen in, in an anonymized form. And that really incentivizes the collaboration that's needed. The other, the other challenge that I'll just quickly mention to that type of collaboration is the digitization of the records themselves. A lot of the waste energy industry is still very paper reliant um, or to the extent that folks have um, some digital systems, their Excel or there's some other system that they've customized for their particular uh, use case. And that makes it really hard to share data. It's really hard to share when you're emailing Excel spreadsheets or things like that. And so part of building Veriflux was to help with that data sharing and also to, to lower or reduce the barrier to enable that data sharing by having a common scheme that everyone can use, a common platform that everyone can use to enable that type of data collaboration. Oh, interesting, for sure. And I think that hurdle that you mentioned at the end is it's quite common I think in the waste and recycling industry in general, right? A lot of it was paper and then it went to Excel and then what's that next phase? So your technology really seems to step in and, and help with that. Exactly. And it's, you know, it sounds simple, right? We're just going to be the next, the next latest and greatest version beyond Excel, but it's quite complex. You have historical data, you have um, data that in some cases can be collected using, let's say, our mobile app 
but in other cases, there's still third parties that haven't yet come onto the system. And so you have to enable them to really onboard their data in a mechanism that works for them. And so mapping out all those different use cases and providing a solution that, that adapts to all those different use cases was quite complex. And I'm proud that we've been able to accomplish that. Oh, that's great. Do you have any advice for anyone else who is, and it may not be necessarily in this realm, but who has to bring a lot of stakeholders together um, about approaching that type of partnership? Yeah, I, I think the, the best advice I could give is really to, to start by breaking down the challenges into the most uh, base, into their most basic form and to try to remove assumptions that you might have based off of your own perspective. I, I mentioned earlier, my, my co-founder, Scott, and I, we were already in the used cooking oil refining business. And so we came from that perspective. But a lot of the other points across the supply chain, as we looked to those and how we would have the software solution address those, we had our own assumptions about what made sense for those different stakeholders. Those assumptions, I'd say half the time, were wrong. And um, and thankfully, because we challenged those assumptions and because we worked with the different stakeholders and interviewed them and tried to understand their day-to-day -day operations and so forth, we were able to build a solution that at, at its core really got to what they were trying to accomplish. And I'll give you one one example of that. I mentioned that one of the stakeholders in, in let's say, uh, used oil, like used cooking oil scenario is a collector, someone that'll go to a restaurant and actually pick up um, the oil. Now, if we built Veriflux just as a compliance solution, at its core, it, it is a compliance solution, but if we built it just as a compliance solution, what we'd be asking of that collector is that in addition to them servicing the restaurant, which is their primary business objective, in addition to them complying with federal, state, and local regulations around servicing that restaurant, for example, Department of Transportation, the number of hours you can drive, things like that. In addition to all those other things, now they had to use another platform for compliance. It just adds a lot of extra burden to their day-to-day -day workflow. Alternatively, what we did is we built out a collector module that allows them to do things like track pickups, the last time that they serviced a restaurant. We're using some machine learning to be able to predict the next time that they're going to have to service a restaurant. We're doing um, intelligent routing using machine learning. So we're adding all of these value adds to the platform that from a business perspective enhance their business operations so that their use of the compliance tool isn't a burden. It's actually a value add. And we only arrived at that perspective because we took the time to actually meet with the different stakeholders and understand what they truly need. Oh, that's amazing to hear. And I love to hear that, you know, you did that from the data as well. And it's data is such a big part of what you do. And have you seen trends or points so far in the journey that have surprised you or really interested you beyond what you just talked about? Yeah, I mean, we one of the things that we do is, so I mentioned the intelligent routing. We have some pretty cool data around uh, routes that are that are being done in, in real time and then what an optimized route would look like. And when I say optimized, you can optimize for a number of different variables. You can optimize for distance, which is the primary one we're doing now. Um, but there's other things you can optimize for, like traffic, 
time, certain restaurants can only be serviced at certain uh, at, during certain durations and things like that. So when we look at the data, what we can see is we can see that based off of our own modeling, that we have a number of folks in our in the supply chain that are um, doing routes that could be better optimized. And the cool thing about that is it not only helps them from a business perspective, um, but it ultimately serves the the primary goal of what let's say the you know the federal government or states like California are trying to accomplish, which is reduction of emissions. Which is to say that if you can reduce the amount of mileage, you are effectively reducing emissions that go into the collection of that raw material, and that's just the starting point of where the data can really take us. I mean, from there, we can look at things like energy usage for the refining of the raw materials. There's a whole bunch of other areas where where the data can really come alive, and that's that's really what's neat once you have data in a in a in a warehouse, for lack of a better term, is mm-hmm. you, you start to you can build on it and, and start to do some really cool things analytically and from a machine learning perspective. Oh, big time. And then, like you said, you can watch it grow over the years and and see that. That's that's awesome. That's also data that a lot of times these different stakeholders don't have in a format that really enables them to evaluate their own business operations. And so the cool thing about reducing that digitization burden uh, and threshold is now that they're on a system that really captures that data, they can start to look at that data from a business operations perspective and no longer have it just in Excel or or siloed somewhere else, but really have a comprehensive view of their business. And one of our core tenants is data portability as a right. We have APIs, we have mechanisms for you to take your data from the system and share it elsewhere. And so it really, our system becomes an enabler for business operations across the supply chain. So valuable. And so I saw that you have a pilot program going with uh, New York City and, and WM. Can you share more about that? Yeah, we're, we've, we've been really excited to participate in that program. It started in September um, and it concluded in December. And um, that was a pilot program that was run by New York City's DEP. And as you mentioned, we did it in conjunction with WM. And what we were doing is actually tracing waste material from uh, from restaurants and some other locations across New York City through uh, processing and ultimately into New York City's Newtown Creek facility, which uh, creates biogas. And so I, I think that what will come out of that, the results of that pilot, is it'll showcase what you can do when you start to have that that data um, and what you can do from an enforcement perspective on one hand, and then on the other hand, from an incentive perspective, because it kind of goes hand in hand. If you look at it from a, from a regulatory perspective is on the one hand, you want to enforce regulations you have on the books, but on the other hand, once you have that data, you can start to become a little more nuanced in how you incentivize, uh, folks to be in alignment with different, uh, goals that you have as it relates to renewable energy. And that that really is a um, is a key point. One of the one of the major indicators that's used in, a, in addition to greenhouse gas emissions is carbon intensity within the renewable fuel industry. And so there's constantly talk about what is the carbon intensity, the CI score of any particular raw material, feedstock, or biofuel that's produced. And what gets lost, I think, in that discussion, while it's a valuable discussion 
is that those scores tend to be static. They're usually based off historical data. And what we're trying to do is not only inform and, and provide folks a mechanism to capture that historical data, but also then to be able to refine that data in real time and to move regulatory bodies to a place where you can actually look at carbon intensity or GHG in real time and then either enforce or incentivize accordingly. And the cool thing is that um, New York City's DEP is on the cutting edge of that. And, uh, and we had an incredible opportunity to, to work with them and with WM on that pilot. Oh, that's great. Will you be sharing results of that anytime soon? Yeah, yeah, there will be a um, there will be a report that will come out uh, later uh, this spring, I think is a fair timeline. Mm -hmm. um, and so there'll be the results of the pilot will be captured in that. Oh, very cool. So I'm curious, how big is the market for renewable diesel production? Oh, that's a great question. Um, renewable diesel has been growing at a compounded annual growth, I want to say, of 33% year over year. It's important to just for a second to take a step back and explain um, that some of the distinctions there. So when you talk about uh, renewable fuels, there's obviously a number of different categories. There's wind, there's solar, there's um, you know, a bunch of stuff that you're probably familiar with, and then there's biofuels. And, and historically, biofuels have been considered biodiesel, and it's what most folks are familiar with because there was a biodiesel boom at the end of the, of the 2000s, uh, that decade. More recently, though, there's been a transition towards renewable diesel. And um, part of the value proposition of renewable diesel is that it it actually, it's a, it's a drop in fuel. So whereas with biodiesel, you had to do a number of things, change the engine, do things like that. With renewable diesel, you can actually just drop it in with regular diesel and it has all the same characteristics and works all the same ways. And so because of that, there's been an increased focus on it along with um, sustainable aviation fuel, which was a, a big um, driver in the recent Inflation Reduction Act and some of the incentives that the government put in as, as part of that. All that to say that that you're going to see significant growth in renewable diesel over the remainder of this decade. And to quantify that, I, I, I think that the compounded annual growth is somewhere in the range of 20 to 40 percent. It changes based off of um, what plants say they're going to come online and when they say they're going to come online. But the uh -huh. production is expected to reach close to 8 billion gallons uh, per year within the next five years. So it's, it's pretty it's pretty sizable. And that might even be an outdated number because a lot uh -huh. of those those numbers are updated um, as new plants announce that they're coming online. So it, it really is a burgeoning industry that I think from a transition fuel perspective, you're going to see the remainder of this decade really be focused on renewable diesel and sustainable aviation fuels. Interesting. So do you think you'll tackle non-liquid food waste? It's such a big issue and your technology seems like it's a perfect way to kind of help there. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, it's, a, it's a fantastic question. And the answer is yes. And we did. Um, as part of the New York City pilot, we actually uh, captured not only restaurant liquid waste, um, but we also captured recycled food scraps. Um, as part of that traceability program. Great. So yeah, we can do yeah, we can do both liquid and non-liquid physical uh, form factors within the system. Frankly, we actually we started with liquid because um, it's a little more difficult. Uh, part of the reason why it's more difficult is you end up with uh, a lot of blended 
product. Let's let's take. I, I know I keep coming back to it, but let's take use cooking oil as an example. You go and you pick up some waste oil from McDonald's, and then you go and you pick up some waste oil from Burger King. That ultimately gets uh, blended in the back of a pumper truck, uh, and then ultimately goes to some processing and refining location. So how can you say molecule from for molecule what came from Burger King versus what came from McDonald's? And so what we had to do is we had to build out a number of different uh, mathematical algorithms that allow us to account for not only how much was sourced from each location, but how much yield loss you, you get when you ultimately refine it and so forth. There's generally accepted schemes like mass balance that are typically used uh, among sustainability professionals to manage that, uh, but it gets a little more complicated when you add in things like yield loss factor and so forth. So we had to build all of that into the system and allow that to be automated from start to finish. And so that's why we started with liquid is because that's fundamentally more challenging than solid because a lot of times solids can be segregated or they can be packaged or they can end up in a form factor that's a lot easier to, to trace. So we started with liquids ultimately then migrated to solids. And I know I keep giving you cooking oil as an example, but we've really refined the platform to be applicable across um, any number of feedstocks, including new feedstocks that are being derived as we speak um, from either existing or completely new sources. And so we, we really are positioning the platform to be scalable to the entirety of the industry, not just biogenic waste fats and oils like used cooking oil. Mm. That's great. And do you see other applications as well, Donnie, beyond that? For sure. We get requests all of the time for, I say non-conventional, that's, that's solely from my perspective, non-conventional because of, of my background, but for non-conventional um, use cases, we get requests for plastics. We get requests for, uh, the other day, someone wanted us to trace um, wine. Uh, so, we, we, we get some pretty interesting use cases that are outside of the uh, waste to energy or um, biofuel supply chain market that we're primarily focused on. And what I think it really speaks to is the fact that consumers are much more discerning in the types of products that they're using. Yeah. When it comes to uh, food that we buy and the certification of that food, not just certified organic, but was it grown locally, things like that. Um, and when you take that into the fuel space, discerning from the standpoint of what was the emissions that went in to generate this biofuel, where did this biofuel come from? I, I really think that's the next evolution of the industry. It, today, it's all about tracing raw material to feedstock to biofuel. Tomorrow, it's going to be about the consumer being able to say, I want to only buy fuels that come from this source, that come from my local area, you know, regionally from the Mountain West or from the Pacific Northwest or wherever it may be. Um, so that you and 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 ultimately you'll pay a premium for that in the same way that you pay a premium for organic or for other discriminating types of products. And uh, and yeah, I think I think the consumer ultimately is is going to be more discerning in what they're doing, and and that that's a positive because it's going to drive the market to adapt and to adapt to better best practices. Yes, agree. Agree. You'll see that a lot. It would be interesting to follow the wine scenario. So are they saying from the where the grapes are grown all the way down to uh, where the the bottles are filled? Yeah. Yeah, it was the exact scenario was 
um, to be able to, you know, if you're going to claim that a certain wine is a certain vintage from a certain area, um, being able to not only have that claim, but have like a QR code on the bottle so that when someone goes to buy it, they can scan the QR code and they could see, okay, this is the exact uh, orchard where these grapes, and if I'm not using the right terminology, it's because I'm not a big wine drinker, but this is this is the exact orchard where these grapes were grown and this is where it was ultimately processed. And this is the amount of emissions that went into creating this wine. I mean, that's the that's the level of detail that I think we're going to get to from a consumer perspective across all industries. And that was that was the wine use case, which we're not doing. So if anyone out there wants to go <laughs> and and, uh, and trace wine or wants to talk to us about a partnership, we welcome that. Veriflux Wine sounds like a great name. We can do better, I'm sure. It sure does. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so you're heading to the to the wet show later this month. Um, what will you guys be doing there? Will you be showcasing anything? Will you be demoing anything? Yeah, we're we're gonna have a booth. We're gonna be showcasing Veriflux and um, really talking to the primary audience there, being a lot of collectors, uh, pump truck drivers around how easy the app is to use. We made it really simple because we know that when someone's pumping grease, they have a lot of other things that they're focused on, like where am I parking the truck and you know how am I making sure I'm not spilling and so forth. And so uh, we made it really simple, really easy to use. And, and so for folks that are going to be at the wet show that want to see how easy it is to use the application and um, stop, you can stop on by our booth. Additionally, uh, we're also going to be showcasing some of the business operation enhancements that I mentioned and doing just general education around uh, what the record-keeping requirements are for RFS and, and for um, some of the other programs where a lot of this waste material ultimately goes into. Oh, that's great. Good. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing you there. And then I have to ask you this. Who do you think will win the Super Bowl, the Eagles or the Chiefs? <laughs> I'm I'm fundamentally torn because I am a Broncos fan. And so um, on the one hand, I feel like I can't root for the Chiefs as a result of that. But on the other hand, the Chiefs winning validates the fact that the Broncos lost to them twice. So uh, there you go. I think I, yeah, I think I have to go with the Chiefs. But um, as long as it's a good game, that's uh, that's what that's what's most important. Okay, good. I think it will be. And then is there anything else you want to share, Donnie, about you or, or Veriflux and what lies ahead for you guys? Uh, the only the only other thing I'll add is um, is to anyone that's wondering how they can get involved in biofuels or specifically in traceability and things like Veriflux, um, don't hesitate to reach out. You can go to veriflux.io, um, even if it's just for informational purposes. We'd love to to provide um, educational resources around uh, where we think the market is headed. Uh, and so we're happy to engage with anyone that, that wants to learn more, be it about our product or about the industry as a whole. So again, that's, that's veriflux.io and um, don't hesitate to reach out. Oh, that's great. Good. Well, keep doing what you're doing. We look forward to watching you grow in other applications. So thanks for taking the time today. Awesome. Thanks, Liz. I appreciate it.